everyone. Welcome to From Nowhere to Nothing, Ontological Oxymorons. I'm your host, Joe Bouchard, a graduate student in education, and with me is Mr. Norman Gayford, professor of English and philosophy. If aliens were to come to Earth, there are many things they would find strange about the world. But perhaps the hardest thing to explain would be the fact that we spend a third of our lives unconscious, and that during that time, we live another life. Sometimes truth is stranger than fiction, and we need to look no further than dreams for that affirmation. All right, so I know that I always say, all right, let's jump into it. All right, that's kind of my that's the first thing I say. Well, this time we're really going to do it. I'm going to throw you in the deep end. We might not, you know, we're not, we're not even in a pool. I'm going to throw you into the ocean. Oh, okay. Um, so the water's not even warm. Yeah. Okay. First question is dreaming consciousness is. <laughs> okay. So you just dropped me in the Marianas Trench. Thank you yeah, very much. Are you, are you conscious uh, when you're dreaming? Well, okay. First I'll, I'll, I'll be relativistic, but not really, but, uh, that depends on the neurocognitive philosopher that you're talking to at the moment or, or the cluster of, of scientists. To me, it is consciousness. Uh, conscious, not, not, um, not self-awareness, as in uh, putting yourself in the context of, the, I, I'm self-aware that I'm in this studio. And, and how it looks and what's around me and the sounds I'm hearing. But, but consciousness as in uh, of the phenomenologic, phenomenological um, experience of you, whatever this being is, us, with something seemingly outside of us, even if it isn't. In a dream, we're experiencing things. We are, we are, now this is a debate. The, the, many of the philosophers, and I'm sure you've run into a reading about it, uh, and scientists will, will say, nope, that's all an illusion. We're, we're not having any experience. You're lying flat on your back or on your side or whatever. Your body's in, in a kind of a, a, a formula. You're just lying there. Maybe your fingers are wiggling or your eyes in REM or something, but, so you're not experiencing anything, and and I and I think that's that's bollocks. I think you know really, it's, it's of course you're experiencing something because you're having a memory of it because you can have emotional response to dreams that you have. So I'm more with the the Nagel kind of people, I guess. Yeah. So I think that thinking about that question, you really have to get Socratic and kind of do your homework, yeah. right? Yep. I think that if you're going to ask, are you conscious while you're dreaming? You have to ask, well, what is consciousness, which we've talked about in the past? How do you define what consciousness is? And then once you define consciousness, then you have to define what is reality? How do we, what do we consider reality? Mm -hmm. And do and, we excise dreams from reality or do we include it in the totality of reality? Yeah. And really, I think that you have to answer all, both of those questions before you get to the question, are you conscious while you're dreaming? Mm -hmm. But and you so, dropped me in the trench, so what was I going to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, <laughs> I think you tread water very well. Um, and those two things might be beyond the scope of this podcast. And if you are interested in those topics, we, we have done podcasts on them. Um, but it's, you know, it's funny. Leading up to this episode, I've, I've kind of been pushing this one off because... I like the topic so much, mm -hmm. which sounds weird, but I guess I had the, I have this fear that like, oh man, we're going to do this podcast on dreams and then it's going to be over, you know? <laughs> and then I realized, well, no, it's my podcast. If we want to do one or four more episodes about dreams, we can do it down the road. Absolutely. You know? And I, th and I think there will be more um, fresh stuff to talk about each time. And the same goes for consciousness and reality. These are things that we don't have answers to. Um, so if you don't have answers, then there's no end to the speculation and the, the, the thoughts and the philosophy for it. So, um, mm -hmm. uh, but I had those, I had that ill-founded fear coming into it. I thought, man, <laughs> dreams are so cool. There's no way we're going to cover it all to my satisfaction in, in a lifetime. No. Um, <clears throat> all right. So, yeah, so that was just kind of a teaser, that, <laughs> that question. And I'm sure we'll get into it a little bit later, but let's get back to the, um, sort of the basics. Mm -hmm. Um, so what are dreams? <laughs> Which begs for, for more definition. States of, of being 
that may include hallucination, that may include various forms of or degrees of illusion, um, that offer uh, seeming sense experience of elements of one's lived ex uh, life or of things outside of it. Um, an active, even though the body is passive, somewhat perhaps, an active interaction with images, conjured or otherwise, with emotions, uh, in a perhaps kaleidoscopic sense. Yeah, so it's <laughs> funny. Um, you, you don't realize how expansive dreams can be until you start talking to other people about it. Um, mm -hmm. You and I talked about dreams a little bit last time we got together off mic. Yeah. And um, I'm, I remember asking you what your first, you know, you know, memories and dreams and stuff. And you said, well, smells, I remember smelling something and that, that sort of blew my mind. Number one, cause I can't smell. Um, but also because it's a weird thing to think of, you know, and, um, <clears throat> and yet, with, the most powerful sense that there is really. Yeah. And I was talking with one of my friends about dreams and he was saying how, yeah, all my dreams end with colorful geometric shapes imprisoning me. Mm -hmm. And I thought, what a weird thing. Like that's never happened to me, you know? Mm -hmm. And so all of these things are, are a little bit strange. Um, and so there's different theories for what dreams are. And there's actually a couple different kinds of dreams themselves. Um, so in stage three or four sleep, um, they found that dreams are mostly kind of a memory consolidation. There's nothing um, strange or abstract happening. It's mostly you kind of remembering things that have happened to you in your waking life and your brain's kind of making sense of them. Mm -hmm. When you get into REM sleep, that's when all of the weird stuff kind of happens. And those dreams are actually coming from a different part of your brain. Um, you know, your hippocampus is responsible for kind of your, your more realistic dreams, you get the memory um, kind of thing. REM sleep, they don't know where that's coming from. Right, it's not the, it's not the front of, of the brain. Yeah, the, the front of your brain that controls all of your rational thought and stuff is shut down. And your hippocampus, which is responsible for memory, is shut down. Mm -hmm. And your occipital lobe, which, you know, pr gives you a lot of your information on your visual, you know, and, and, and auditory processing and that sort of thing, is also not as active. And so they said, well, how can you picture and hear and and do all of these things in dreams when the parts of your brain that um, are responsible for them are not in a state of alertness and that's part of the the mystery of that's of part dreams. of the mystery here's this what a five pound lump of gray matter you know it's like a bunch of play-doh cans opened up and put together and yet it's the source of the most uh, mysterious things uh, this is what Nagel writes about it. Uh, a lot of people have tossed Thomas Nagel under the bus lately because, and not just lately, because a philosopher, he talks about consciousness a lot. And he talks about dreams and, and, and identity and such. A very interesting writer. But um, in 2013, 2014, somewhere around there, he, he one of his newer books, uh, essentially, of the, of the the evolutionary uh, uh, scientists said he'd thrown them under the bus, um, even though he's an avowed atheist. But what he was saying is, cue the Star Wars music, that, 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 that consciousness is mysterious and it shouldn't happen based on what we know about the brain. And it's not evolutionary because it doesn't really have a particularly use because for the most part consciousness in in, in his view and i'm again paraphrasing so much is essentially most of the time spent in various states of fantasy 
of constructing narratives of things that aren't there. <laughs> right. And, and, and so that's not an evolutionary advantage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in our episode about consciousness, we talk about, I think we spent a significant amount of time talking about, yeah, is, is consciousness even a real thing or is it an illusion? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. is, are we actually conscious um, and how that interacts with free will? You know, are we, are we actually choosing to do things or are we just, you know, biologically programmed to do stuff and then we have this sort of illusory cognitive system that's telling us that we have choice or all of these different things play into it. And, you know, I think those things, those arguments and those um, philosophical musings sound really ab abstract, but when you put them in the context of dreaming, it makes a lot more sense, right? Mm -hmm. Because we have dreams, um, whatever kind of dream it is, you have a dream and during that time, it seems very real and logical. And then you wake up and you readily accept that it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. So why do you approach waking consciousness any different? Why do you automatically give it the benefit of the doubt that it's a real thing and it's not an illusion like dreaming? Well, is, one know? has to be careful when you say, why do you? Because I know you mean that in the rhetorical sense of people, but some of us, not so entirely much. <laughs> I mean, when you read enough of the, of the and, and ponder this, what, 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 gives, what gives people the real willies uh, about the matrix is not that it was this incredibly well-made film although the first one one could argue is is that it severely just like i suppose inception these uh, the, the, the stories we tell that severely question the the nature of what we call reality and so I, th and, and, and uh, at this stage in life, I, I enjoy that because we are so seemingly absolutely sure of what's real and what's not. And yet, and yet without going anywhere, we don't want to go, but we have a whole lot of weaving of nonsense out of what's, a, what supposedly is actually real going on. All around us, uh, every day, and and not just nonsense, but storytelling that has no basis in reality, and so, uh, so to speak. Mm. Um, so I'm not so sure that we wake up out of it and say, "Well, yes." I mean, we we convince ourselves, "Well, yes, this must be the reality." Why? Because the other one was terrible, or because because. Uh, are we afraid of it or because we like it too much and it's just not that way? Uh, yeah, I think that there's there's something going on here that might make people uneasy. But <laughs> <laughs> so I think the reason we accept um, waking reality as, um, you know, an acceptable, you know, an acceptable reality, but dreams as not is because we have certain cognitive functions when we're awake that we don't have when we're sleeping that you talked about at the beginning of the episode. Mm -hmm. um, we have analytical abilities in our dreams, but we do not have um, executive functions, you know, so our, our abilities to be self-aware or our abilities to um, do things in, in waking life that we'd normally do, you know, we can't oh, contextualize. We can't corroborate. Hey, I'm, I'm in a pink marshmallow castle. <laughs> yeah, this is real. You know, like, you know, well, if this is real life, I know that something was wrong, you know? And so you think, okay, well, because I am lacking those abilities in my dreams, um, that's not reality. This is reality. Well, the problem is if you, you know, you expound upon those postulations into the metaphysical realm, what you'll see is that, um, so for instance, scientists have demonstrated that um, space-time is a four-dimensional thing, and we don't understand it. If you look at the, the shape of the universe, um, you know, it, it's, it's flat, and it's, so, you know, it's flat, but it's not two-dimensional, you know, um, so... That doesn't make sense to us. All right. The, the universe is probably a, a four-dimensional hypertoroid. And it's like, well, what does that look like? Well, we don't know because we can't experience we can't it, right? Experience we know that that's, that's probably what it is, but we can't experience it. Yep. So science bears this out. 
Um, and and a lot of people are pretty okay with that if they if they you know have heard of it if they understand the the physics behind it. Mm-hmm. So if you're okay with that part of it, okay. Well, I don't really understand it, but this is the way science is pointing. Um, and you kind of cross over into the dream realm, right? Okay, so when I'm dreaming, I lack these functions. When I'm awake, I have more functions. Well, now scientists are saying, well, there's maybe like a 30 to 50% chance we live in a simulation. Yes, know? yes. And um, Bostrom so, and others like him, yeah. Right, you know, and they've, they've bounced lasers off of the far ends of the universe and stuff and done all of these different tests and said, yeah, it's possible that this might all be a simulation. It might not be real. So where that connects is, all right, we look at dreams. We're doing this thing in our dream and psychologists say that dreaming is probably a form of simulation for us, especially stage three and four dreaming. You're running simulations in your mind to make sense of how things work in your conscious reality. Mm-hmm. In your conscious reality, you have expanded capabilities. Um, so you accept that as being real. Well, what if we are simulations in some other beings mm-hmm. dream mm-hmm. that's helping them make sense of some other part of the universe? Yeah, does that, <laughs> yeah. does that make and us? And they have expanded functions beyond <laughs> what, what we have in our waking lives. Um, that's really weird, right? <laughs> it is. I've seen that look on my students' faces for a long time. It's, of, and on my own in the mirror, because of course it's really weird. Because then it makes it draws you rapidly through a whole set of questions. But let's let's arrive at that one of the most fundamental questions. So, what does that mean that I mean anything less? The, the, the pop culture, all right. There's there's a there's a show called Agents of Shield. All right, and one of the seasons that I'm in right now, uh, the the agents get uh, trapped in a thing called the framework, which is the matrix, which is you know right. the, that that very model of of a, a reality so sincerely, seemingly real that they find themselves uh, hurt. Some are killed. They find themselves uh, and their connection to the outer world. If you die in your in your simulation, your physical body that is still plugged in. Is gone. I mean, it, it's just flatlines. So there are consequences. But one of the characters eventually says, because so, she keeps saying, well, this is, this is just all zeros and ones. This is just all binary. It doesn't, people are running around and, and trying to and give their lives for things and it doesn't mean anything because they're just, and, and, but then she has a response to what a, a kindness another character does. And one of the characters who in the normal world, so to speak, was a villain is not in this world. And he said, oh, you stop for a moment because that uh, child spoke to her father and a kindness was done. Does that make her real? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and there's no answer to it because, of course, they got to get on with the storyline, but, but, it, but it inserts that very necessary philosophical thing. Our, why do we assert that there is a world that is so f- absolutely real that that's our world and everything else is just fantasy when we spend all of our time creating fantasies fantasy football movies television books rewriting our own stories so that we didn't do the things that we did uh, tried self-justificatory uh, activities so somebody gets upset because a police officer pulls them over because they were driving five miles an hour too fast but i was only driving five miles an hour too fast and and really that's not breaking the law well there's a fantasy so <laughs> you know we, we do it all the time right and yet we assert the bald-faced nonsense that there's a totality that is inescapable Right. And it all has to do with how we construct knowledge, right? And so if you look at the science of it, we've talked about this in the past, we see a sliver of the electromagnetic spectrum. We hear a sliver of the audio frequencies that are out there. (laughs) Um, We only experience the portions of reality that we take in through these crude senses. Um, But 
at the end of the day, what that three pounds of gray Play-Doh does with those crude sensory inputs is all that we have, right? That's all we actually have. Yep. And so since that's all we actually have, we say, this is what is, you know, the, and, and anything that is outside of that sliver of electromagnetic spectrum or outside of that sliver of audio um, waves, it, it, that is all up for debate or speculation or, or whatnot. Or if something did happen within those slivers of spectrums, but it was outside of my ability to sense it or perceive it. Yeah. Yep. Then that's up for debate or respect. <laughs> the only thing that is real is what I take in with these very limited senses. And Ma when you yeah. put it that way, it sounds so absurd. <laughs> but <laughs> it, it sounds ridiculous. It, it does, but it's but it is what have you read Nagel? Because you sound I have not. The, the, I, I was going back through some of my notebooks. So here, okay, so there's this uh um he says, uh, the point is to live one's life in the full complexity of what one is, which is something more, much darker, more contradictory, more of a maelstrom of impulses and passions of cruelty, ecstasy, and madness than is apparent to the so-called civilized being who glides on the surface and fits smoothly into the world. If we really acknowledge the mess that we are, <laughs> the fascinating universe that each one of us is, the inconsistencies and the incoherencies and the darknesses as well as the lightness, uh, we are fascinating beings, but we are also capable of all kinds of things. Yeah, and, and you know, when I, when I say all those things, I think a lot of people could take them the wrong way, especially... Um, Especially, you know, uh, religious people, right? You know, I mean, I look at that and say, oh, well, you know, it's all that's making everything relative or that's um, diminishing the the uh, importance or, you know, things that make humans special or worse. No, not at all. You know, like not at all. But but or worse, I, I you know, I, I can say this because no names. I, I had an old friend who I've, I think I've told you the story before who who became a pastor and uh, we used to be able to talk about many things, and and we found that uh, we hit our point where we couldn't, and that and that was uh, on dreams. Hmm. Um, he's an evangelical pastor. He he, uh, and when I was, I, he was talking about dream work, uh, writing his um, thesis on dreams, and I asked him if he'd you know, read Freud or Nagel or whom and and Jung particularly and. No, 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 because they are unchristian. And you have to watch out because uh, because there are dreams, but then there are the things that Satan casts into your mind. Hmm. Um, and I'm sitting there thinking, ah, so you're talking about Descartes' evil genius. <laughs> 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 and and I'm not, I'm not, the, the laughter is just the realization that there is such compartmentalization in ways of seeing the universe that don't allow for an osmotic discussion um yeah we do sometimes we dream in color sometimes we dream in black and white sometimes it's indeterminate some sometimes uh the dreams have some a seemingly narrative structure sometimes we lucid dream which means that we're going in and we're actually trying to actively uh, affect how the dream goes and studies of the eye movement show that when we're in control of the dream our eyes are moving differently than when they're randomly fluttering around in rem we, 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 we can have dreams that seem totally nonsensical. We can have dreams that are so real that we wake up from them. We're not sure for a moment whether or not they happened. And that scares some people because they think, well, are you getting dementia? Or are you, are you, are you, are you, are you losing your able ability to discern the difference between the dream world and not? No, of course not. Not automatically. But it is, but if one acknowledges the power and the absurdity <laughs> and the, the puzzling nature of dreams, because we don't dream one thing. We don't have the same dream all the time. Sometimes we have serial dreams. I, I know people who say, I never remember any of my dreams. Well, there are people who don't because, A, they're not particularly interested in trying to. And often the people that I talk to who say that don't want to probe it. Mm -hmm. Well, of course, you're not going to remember it. Just that leave it alone we don't talk about politics we don't talk about religion we certainly don't talk about dreams 
<laughs> so, I mean, in the whole gamut, you and I have described dreams to each other. And, and, and you're talking about your friend with the, the geometric shapes that is so individualized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, and, and like you said, it's, it's easy to forget dreams. People who don't want to remember them won't because you lose them very quickly after you wake up, if you don't attempt to remember them. Um, and yeah, like all kinds of strange things can happen. You know, and we've talked about it before. I, you know, I, the, one of the most interesting ones I had recently was where I was, I was a tiger, you know, <laughs> and in a dream, how real it is, you know, all of the muscles and the abilities that you have and the claws, the retractable claws, all these things, you can feel them as if you really were that thing. And it makes you wonder, well, where in my brain is that knowledge coming from you know is it you know because especially when you think about all the parts that are shut down you know a lot of the stuff is coming from your brainstem or your cerebellum that's mostly responsible for your automatic functions you know not not advanced things so is it imagination am i imagining being a tiger right right you know so like so this is extremely realistic feeling and these mm-hmm. things are happening that I've never experienced before. I've never experienced this in waking life. You know, where's mm-hmm. this, this knowledge coming from this imagination or, you know, whatever it is. Um, well, this is what St. Augustine or Augustine uh, in the confessions was, uh, this is where ethics comes into it because then you, you, you talk, you know, whether it's a religious component and Augustine very much is. He was concerned about the, the ethics of a dream because if you do things in dream, like be a tiger and eat people, yeah. <laughs> um, what really is important, Augustine came to determine, was when you cross that 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 chasm and and you re-enter this world. Um, do you understand that that thing was wrong, but that you didn't really do it because it was just in your head? And, and if you understand that and you're on firm ground and that was immoral, but that's, that wasn't you because that's your dream, you, not the real you. He wasn't putting in those terms exactly, but that's essentially what he was saying. There's a chasm. There's a gap. You cross from one side to the other. You make it over the rainbow bridge. Then you can have, <laughs> you can have an ordinary life yet again, Con- uh, certain in the facts of your grounding in this place right yeah so spoiler <laughs> i ate people and it's a dream when i was an integer <laughs> but yeah so that and there's there's a whole section of philosophy um dedicated to that right looking yes. at the ethics of dreams well and and that is kind of a funny thing to think about right because we just talked about how you don't have executive functions in your dreams like your your ability to choose what's happening and, and all these other things is extremely limited so trying to hold people responsible for things that they are dreaming about is a really weird concept. But, um, so what meaning do dreams have then? Well, what's, what's the meaning behind all of this weird imagery and, and things that are happening? Why am I a tiger eating people in my dream? (laughs) Or, 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 or why did I emerge from a dream? Absolutely devastated. Uh, Thinking uh, recently, it was just, it was painful because I kept telling myself, no, you wouldn't do, you couldn't have done that. So I've been watching too many murder mysteries lately, I could tell myself. So I murdered somebody in my dream. Not anybody I knew. I wouldn't know where they were. I don't know what it was about, but I was convinced. I woke up, I shook it off, took a moment. And then, um, so what does it mean? It doesn't mean that I killed somebody. It probably also doesn't mean that I've been watching too many murder mysteries because that goes back to the folkloric stuff that was debunked a long time ago. That if you eat pizza, uh, then you're going to have a certain kind of dream. And if you eat such and such a food, my grandmother was always talking about, there's no science to that at all, <laughs> except for the science. Uh, well, I shouldn't say no, except for the, the realization that sometimes external stimuli can be brought into dream, not as a one to one correspondence. So what's it for? I, I don't know what it's for. <laughs> it's 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 a different to me. It's it's part of the entire complexity of consciousness. Um, it's, it's sometimes dreams are joyful. Sometimes you get chased in your dreams, or I do. You know, sometimes I'm having a remarkably peaceful dream where I'm sitting um, uh, with a friend, 
looking out at a landscape, at a starscape, and just admiring it. And, and, and I wake up and feel really rested. Well, did the dream make me rested? It might not have had anything to do with that. I can't answer that. I don't think anybody has adequately been able to answer that. So, do you think dreams have meaning? I think we can find meaning in them, and I'm treading this carefully, right? Don't don't you, you because you you analyze, right? Say, yeah. Where did that come from? Okay, so we and we and we can we can easily find answers that we we want to make patterns of and make those the answers. That doesn't necessarily mean that they are, but it gets comfortable to do that, right? But do they tell us something about ourselves? There are people. There, how many books are there about dream symbols? And we and if we take uh, I, which I think we still should Jung and and uh, Joseph Campbell and all all the way up through about uh, there are universal symbols that appear in dreams across cultures, you know and and so they m- probably have some internal meaning uh, that one must make by wrestling with thinking about meditating on what that dream was about. I think there's a psychological health in that. Not, oh, the dream told me to go do this and therefore I must. I don't think so. <laughs> right. And that's that's a component that has persisted throughout human um, civilization, really. Um, you look at different cultures, especially ancient cultures and stuff. They There's a lot of them that, you know, the Egyptians and Assyrians and Australians and stuff where they, they, they really believe that dreams did have um, uh, very important role to play mm-hmm. in sort of um, almost a prophetic sense or, mm-hmm. you know, a, mm-hmm. a guiding sense. Yeah. Um, I think guiding, we, we take the word guiding perhaps differently now. Yeah. And no less seriously, really, but but psychologically guiding. Yeah. It's, it, for dreams having meaning, um, when I think about that, to me, the answer is unequivocally yes, but it changes contextually, right? And I'll let you know, this is my, this is my hack for school. When I'm doing school, right? One of my favorite things to do is I'll read a chapter. And then as soon as I'm done reading the chapter in the chair that I'm in, I will just sit back, cross my arms, put my head down and take a 15 minute nap. Hmm. And during that time, I will have these dreams discussing what i just read with imaginary people and then i'll wake up and i'll have this insight and knowledge into the thing that i was reading that i didn't have before i went to sleep it's a regular thing that i do so those dreams have a meaning right because yes i'm having an insight and a knowledge into something that i didn't have before so it's a meaningful yes putting things in uh, a kind of new order Right, right. And um, I think the most famous example of this was, I can't remember who it was. You can probably Google it and find out pretty quickly. But there was there was an astronaut who had to make some sort of complicated fix um, on the International Space Station or some kind of spacewalk or something. And so he's communicating with the ground and um, it's a real tense situation. And he says, all right, guys, I'm just going to take a nap for a minute. And mm-hmm. they're <laughs> Wait, what? Like, no, you've got to be out there in 20 minutes to fix this thing. He said, well, just give me a minute, you know. And he took a nap and then went out and, you know, he, according to him, he had all this kind of insight into yeah. what he had to do to fix the problem. And he did. Well, yeah, uh, there, there are there are many. The, 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 the history is replete with these kinds of stories. A, a mathematician who in dream arrives at formula or uh, equation that had been pursuing for years. Uh, The the revelatory or seemingly revelatory or epiphanic uh, moment, the light bulb moment, sometimes happens with dream. But it may not be as as life-saving as the astronaut or as career-changing as the mathematician. But if, if it tells you something more, uh, about yourself. I, I'm, I'm going back. Now you're going to like this because this is from Nagel's book, The View from Nowhere. Nice. Uh, nice. So, okay. <laughs> and here we are in our zone. Uh, the subjectivity of consciousness is an irreducible feature of reality. 
the subjectivity of consciousness, and it must occupy as fundamental a place in any credible worldview as matter, energy, space, time, and numbers, which is what you were saying earlier. I'm trying to pull some of that together. Consciousness is subjective. If consciousness is subjected, if subjective, then surely dreams, which may be a part of the unconscious or subconscious, are still, to me, part of the consciousness, the, the overall nature of it. And, and so, yes, it may have uh, uses. It may have, it may unlock keys. It may occasionally be a Rosetta Stone that becomes another Rosetta Stone. So we figure something out, and then we don't figure, then we're right back to the mystery again. Um, but it's an active relationship one has with dreams. Those of us who talk about dreams, we're actively engaged. Now, I, I talk about this with my father. He said, oh, your, your mother always, she always had these these wild, strange, strange dreams. I, I, I don't even know what my dreams were. You don't want to touch it. Mm. You see, and and I think that's where we, we all close doors on things, not mm. going there, not, okay. So this isn't a, 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 a judgmental statement in saying that. But I think as with any, if you close your textbook and you said, okay, now I'm going to play some music. I'm not going to give a thought to the kid. I did my work. I read those pages. I don't even know what I read, and I'm going to go create art. Wonderful to create art, but you probably didn't interact, and that's not you. But you probably any, any student who does that with a book is not interacting with the book. If you don't interact with your dreams, you're not going to, they're not going to mean as much. If you don't interact with any, and this is the phenomenological thing, right? If phenomenology talks about our intentionality with some object past us. And that's where the debate is. Can we be intentional about an object that doesn't really exist because it's in our heads? Hmm. Well, what else doesn't exist because it's in our heads? Relationship. You can see evidence of a relationship, but you cannot see relationship. You cannot see love. You cannot see spirituality. And yet we call these real things. Right. Yeah. And yeah, man, it opens the whole door. We're really running the whole gamut of everything we've ever talked about. And I love it. That's why it's exactly what I knew would happen talking about it. Um, and the specific thing, the example that I brought up, that's um, obviously dreaming in the lighter stages of sleep. Um, so my the hippocampus responsible for memory is is lighting up. And saying, okay, um, here's what we have memories of, especially recent memories of. And then, you know, it's it's running those kind of simulations, right? It's saying, okay, well, this is the knowledge that we have. Um, what sort of what sort of things can you do with this? You know, <laughs> especially outside of our own perspective. Okay, well, let's let's kind of, you know, bring some things over here and do this. And um it's pretty well scientifically accepted that that's that's what's happening in in stage three and four sleep you know that that kind of stuff that you get real quick and very light mm -hmm. the stranger part of it is the REM sleep right and so um and you and I've talked about this the last time we got together and we'll talk about it a little bit here so I have I've had a couple strange dreams recently um one of them is, is a reoccurring dream I have this dream probably twice a year since I was 12 or so where, um, you know, I'm driving in this Model T convertible on a really nice, bright summer day. It's a beautiful day. And there's this cemetery with a very, you know, nicely manicured lawn and, a, you know, ornate wrought iron gate with a stone fence around it. Um, and I, I drive down this kind of cobblestone road and there's just these nice uniform graves as far as the eye can see um and i just drive down this road for probably five or ten minutes and then all of a sudden on my left appears this mansion and it's like a three-story tall thing and um it's it's a pretty it's an ornate building there's a lot of you know pillars and you know sculptures and things on the outside and the only variation to the dream is sometimes the door to the mansion is open and sometimes it's closed. Hmm. But it doesn't matter because I never go inside. <laughs> right next to the mansion is a nine-story 
stone tower. And it's basically the opposite of the mansion. The mansion is this kind of squat building, white marble, very ornate. The, the tower is, you know, a uh, skinny, tall structure that's just black stone, nothing on the outside. So I park the car, I go into the stone tower. And inside the stone tower, every single level is bare. It's just, you know, rough hewn logs for the, um, you know, for the, the structure of it and stone floors and ceilings and walls. And I climb up the stairs all the way to the top level of the tower. And the whole way up, I'm examining the tower as if something very interesting is in it. Wow, look at, look at these wooden beams. Look at these stone walls. But it's pretty much just bare. <laughs> I get up to the top level, and I look out the window of the stone tower, um, and I see the top of the mansion, and I see the graveyard. And in, as far as you can see, it's just graves over these rolling green hills of grass. Nice, bright, blue sky, sunny day. And no matter which direction I look or how far I see, it's just these uniform white stone graves. And then I wake up from my dream. And so I've probably had this dream 40 times in my life, mm -hmm. just over and over again. Same yeah. thing. Yeah. The only difference is sometimes the door to the mansion's open, sometimes it's closed. That's fascinating in itself. <laughs> so, and, you know, it's, it feels like there's some kind of really deep, interesting meaning to that dream. Mm -hmm. But is there? What is you know? <laughs> well, well, there's there's a subjectivity of it, isn't it? I mean, look at what you you just described marvelously. Uh, you you can as far as you can see, okay, <laughs> and 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 the there are there's a school of people who say you weren't seeing anything. It was all mm. uh, an uh, a hallucination or an illusion, which aren't the same things. Um, but you were seeing perspective. You were able to uh, arrange and, and postulate what this, the roof of that house looked like when you got up in the tower that was taller than the house. So orientation mm. was there. So I think arguably there's an experience. <laughs> um, and, and, and it feels like it means something, I think, means that you want to work at it and write about it, create art about it, create music about it, whatever. But it, it, you create, we create meaning about everything. Mm -hmm. And so to have someone else tell you what it means, that's not what you're talking about. I'm, I'm wrestling on this. I'm mulling this over. Right. Mm -hmm. Serial dream. And that's, this is, this is a repetitive dream. It would be a serial dream if you got to the house and then the dream stopped, right? And then you, in the next, later on you dream and suddenly you are walking up to the house or walking up to the tower. And then, uh, and, and I, I have lots of serial dreams, uh, sometimes about two people or something like me and something like a friend of mine, but aren't, um, crossing time and space, nonlinear experiences that together well maybe we'll make some art out of it. maybe we'll make some fiction out of it i i hope i think it's powerful enough to do that it's but it leads to conversation that is fascinating um it leads to self-reflection where did that come from yeah why is that the question we always ask <laughs> you know in any alien book movie whatever the first thing is who are you where did you come from? <laughs> we always want to know the source of things, despite ourselves. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's funny because um, I don't I don't have the serial dreams as much. I have I've had a couple of them, and the ones that it, the one dream that I have that is a serial dream is I I go to my grandma's house, and there's always some door up in the attic that isn't there in real life. And I open it and it leads to this, you know, massive maze of, you know, hallways and things. And there's all these rooms that I explore and do all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And so usually, and that's another dream that will happen usually once or twice a year. And then the next time I dream it, I, sometimes I pick up from where I left off the last time. Sometimes I start at the beginning. Mm -hmm. It's Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. yep. I'm downstairs with the family. <laughs> I wander upstairs into the attic. I find the door again. 
But sometimes I pick up where I was in the maze and, and start re-exploring some of these rooms. Um, so yeah, that you know that's wild. And then there's the time dilation aspect of it. You yes. and I were talking about this last time. Oh yes. Where um, and it's funny because the empirical research on this is that it doesn't exist. Um, your time in dreams is actually limited to about twenty minutes, and you don't experience any longer than that. And I guess I'm kind of up in the air about it because I've had three dreams over the past month or so that have seemed to last about two weeks mm-hmm. where I've, I've woken up, I've gone about my daily business, I've gone to sleep, I've woken up again, and it's been between 11 and 14 days, the three different times. Yeah, yeah, this, uh, that, this is not unusual, Joel. Yeah. It, what do we, well, we did a, we've talked about time, right? And we will until we're no longer around. Yeah. I mean, time is a construct. It is subjective. And so choose your science fiction genre. Many, many stories have been told of an actual time, five minutes in experienced perceived time in a different state or place days weeks months Mm. that doesn't seem odd to me right which is probably going to make some of our listeners yeah and i mean and (laughs) and it's you know an accepted thing on short scales you know if you're if you're in the ballpark then Mm -hmm. nobody would question you How, how long do you think we've been recording so far just guessing now yeah well, it feels like about 20 minutes, but it's probably been more like an hour and 10. <laughs> so we are at 46 minutes. Okay. So, <laughs> so split the difference, right? All right. So, I mean, if you, so that, that doesn't even really sound like it's in the ballpark. Like, so it's felt like, it's felt like 20 minutes. It's been twice that long, but you thought, well, it's probably been this long and it's really been half that long. So really like, <laughs> right. so the whole concept is sort of off and, you know, so in, Researchers have studied this sort of thing. Some of, I've read a lot of studies that were kind of interesting, where they'll the people jump free fall into nets and things, and, yes. and ask them, "How long do you think that the fall lasts?" Forever, yeah. So it, there's a lot of uh, chemical messengers, you know, in your brain. All of the different things that are going on influence your idea about time. So you know, it is a legitimate thing to think of time as being something that we construct through consciousness, which may be an illusion in a reality that might be a simulation. Right? Yes. So it's this multi-level thing that is all extremely relative and dependent. Um, so yeah, it doesn't seem strange that a time dilation effect could take place, oh. but in short scales, it's accepted. But in the long scales, the scientists say, no, you dream no. for 20 minutes. You, okay. you actually think you dream for because 20 minutes. Because there's not, the, the empirical know. metric that we always always overlay because it gives us some um, I'm not I'm a science person so I'm not mocking this and saying but it does give us some anchor some Mm -hmm. foundation but most as we know metaphysicians uh, scientists who are on the edge of physics and so on would say yes that's a foundation but we can still acknowledge this fluctuation and all the things that we don't know yet. Right. And this is why we need to do an episode on, um, on, you know, rel- relativism at some point, you know, cause Absolutely. it's a really interesting, really interesting topic. It is. But yeah. Okay. So anyway, so what they say is the researchers say, okay, you dream for about 20 minutes at a time at the most, your longest dream is 20 minutes. Um, and really, if you thought about it, you'd accept that it was, it was 20 minutes. So I think back to these dreams that lasted two weeks and I think, okay, well, do I remember, you know, all the details of it and stuff? Well, no, I don't, but I also don't remember all the details of my waking life. Right. And, you know, do I remember less details of the dream? Well, yes, because I'm, I don't have executive function. I just have the kind of analytical part of my brain working. So yeah, there's definitely things that are, that are missing that, are both would be routinely missing and things that are missing um, because of I'm in a dream state versus a reality state. But the fact of the matter is, you know, when I, when I think about it from the beginning to the dream to the end, can I really convince myself that all of it happened, all the experience 
actually did seem to be 20 minutes long when I look at all the details. Man, it's, it's really hard to think yeah. that it did. You know? Yeah. So, um, so is it? See, there's a, there's the other component we haven't talked about yet, and this would really wonk some people out. And I I just put it on the table because that's what we do. Uh, it's not inconceivable that what we dream is something that happened to some alternate version of ourselves. It doesn't make us any less real. It doesn't. Maybe it is a multiversal thing. Maybe some of it is. Maybe some of it is a past life thing. I don't find that irreconcilable with with what what we seem to know. And so it's it. That's not frightening to me. That's not challenging to uh, our ethical or moral stance. It's not. It's not a. It's not an existential threat. It's fascinating. It's why, as I said before, one wants to tell stories. One might make stories out of the dreams because the dreams themselves are stories that have been made out of our heads or components of that. Um, in some ways, they're gifts, but that would imply a gift giver, and I'm not going to go that far because, that, you know, uh, uh, maybe we're grateful for some of them. Why? Why would we, unless they were an experience that makes us part of who we are? And we can say, okay, thanks. <laughs> right. Yeah, so I mean, it, it's, it's kind of what we've been talking about all along is that, okay, your brain's doing kind of this simulation work. Um, so, yeah, there's not something to say that there's something beyond that or within that. Um, there's that story that, you know, they have of the, you know, the, the square that goes into the, the two-dimensional world and, you know, the, the circle's talking to him and he's talking about how, well, no, I'm actually a cube on a different <laughs> level, you know. It's like, well, what's a cube? And you can't even explain it to him, yeah, you know. Yeah. It's kind of a similar sort of thing where it's like, you at some point, the, I think the most challenging part for people to accept is, you know, all this speculation we've been doing, we're not saying that that is real. No. But we're just identifying possibilities and the most challenging part for people to accept is that their senses and perceptions might not be picking up everything that's actually out there. You know, that's the hardest part for people to accept. It doesn't matter what people it is. You and I, that's the hardest part for us to of accept. Course. Even open-minded people. The hardest part to think is, wow, you know, maybe I'm not getting the whole picture. Let's think know? about Shakespeare for a moment, shall we? There are more things. In heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. <laughs> I, you know, Hamlet was right. Yeah. But Hamlet's a made-up figure. So Shakespeare was right. But was Shakespeare really saying that's what I believe, or was Shakespeare just saying that because it sounded good? Is that so much different from the dream discussion? No, exactly. And, and we've talked about this before with art, right? Mm -hmm. You know, when I'm, when I'm writing a song, um, lots of times I construct a song and the lyrics that I put to it um, are vague in nature specifically. Um, and I'm writing about a certain topic using some sort of metaphorical language. Mm -hmm. And then people will approach me and say, I love that song and I know what it's about. It's about this thing. And it's something completely different than what I wrote the song about because they're constructing that, that different meaning, yep. you know, and yep. does that make their meaning less real than the meaning that I wrote behind it? No, it, did, it doesn't matter that I wrote it. What matters is that interpretation, you know, between the, the unless that interpretation is one that, that you find, uh, potentially destructive to your own art or to the message that if you had one that you were trying to assert. I think at that point, then it, yeah, then it can get dicey. But for the most part, it's not that. Here's my song. I'm giving it to you. Uh, I think I said this last week. A pastor friend who said, uh, once you give a gift, you don't get to tell anybody what to do with it. Mm -hmm. Right? And, and that's up to that person. So give your gifts carefully. Yeah, we have this idea of um, we have this idea of ownership, right? Yeah. And especially in the world of creative arts, you know, with copyright and yeah. um, you know all these different things. But the fact is, I just strung words together that have existed for thousands of years, right? And I just put them together in a certain way, and so with intention, right? And so I I put them together with an intention, and I have an interpretation behind them. But other people have a different interpretation of that same 
of that same thing. You know, it's it's a really weird. It know. is. Here's another Nagel thing. You'll like this. I have to because I think it 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 pulls together what we're talking about and what, what we've spent spent time capitalistic concept <laughs> for a long time in every area of thought we must rely ultimately on our judgments tested by reflection subject to correction by the counter arguments of others modified by the imagination and by comparison with alternatives hmm. isn't that what you talk about each time you talk about we've we've talked about having discussions with students friends whatever and not trying to tell them what they should think, but asking questions, giving a counter argument, offering an imaginative possibility to see if they do anything with that. Right. Yeah, that's perfect. I mean, that, that summarizes the whole thing. Yeah, you know, you want human, human consciousness is subjective, right? You said that earlier, you are going to have a certain point of view, certain opinions, certain opinions, certain biases, certain things that are always going to be there. Um, but you know, what makes a philosopher is somebody who recognizes that other people have those same things and they have value in their opinions and, and other things. And so you're able to give and take with them. Because there can be modification. Right. Exactly, oh, yeah. I just heard something I hadn't thought of. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Or taking the give and take and then using your creativity and imagination to create something new out of those two things, yeah. you know? So, you know, well, in the example we just gave, if somebody's, I can reinterpret other people's song lyrics, you know? And then, so that's, that's me taking taking something from somebody okay somebody put this out here i'm going to take that and and modify my knowledge or i can take my song lyrics and their song lyrics and kind of create something new out of them you know you can you can do all kinds of different i'm thinking of annotation uh, and song bye bye miss american pie drove my chevy to the levee but the levee was dry remember that song? yeah yeah all right now that was a very strange song for some of us when it came out. When the annotations came out, oh, well, this is what the Chevy means, and oh, this is what the, where the levy is, and, 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 and what it's referring to. It's like reading annotations in literature. I, I, I remember reading uh, T.S. Eliot's Wasteland and being blown away by it uh, and totally overwhelmed by it because I didn't know what it was all about, and I still don't. But then uh, a professor uh, had us uh, have a of a book that was annotated and notes and every single line note after note after note about what was being referenced and who, to, who was being referenced and one learned a lot more about the poem but it still didn't shut down other associations and in fact the attempt to limit that poem uh, historically uh, anchor it historically uh, as as an intellectual uh, necessity is important but if it means that that's all I can come away from, then suddenly the vastness of that poem is reduced to a notebook. Right. Yeah. Are you um, Are you still watching The Mandalorian? Um, that is episode two of season one. Okay. All right. <laughs> that's yeah. that's right. I but I like it. Yeah. I, I just haven't. I haven't. Well, I, I, I haven't let myself take the time on it, Joel. But I like it. I won't spoil <laughs> it for you then. Um, but. So what what they're doing is something kind of similar, right? So Star Wars, you had the George Lucas made the movies. Then other people created an entire expanded universe. And then Disney bought Star Wars and erased the expanded universe. But now Disney is creating shows and cherry picking out of the expanded universe things that they like and putting new twists to them so you really have okay you had one man's knowledge then you had other people taking that man's knowledge and creating something new then you had another company that came along and destroyed that knowledge but then decided to take some things out and then modify them and put them all together and it's interesting to see the way that um if you look at one character's narrative who started from the beginning trilogies and has gone all the way through this whole process and seen how 
humans in their storytelling can take these bumps in the road, right? Okay, well, this, this, he originally did this, and then this person did something totally different, and then the character was erased, and now the character is brought back. <laughs> and what aspects of the character are they going to bring back, and how, and what new things are they going to add in to make it all make sense? Again, you know, so that it can be two things, just two things occur to me when you say, first, I'm, I'm chuckling because, you know, that I, I haven't even, how, how do you erase a universe? <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, well, uh, clearly we know how because we bring in our imperialistic, uh, dominant uh, determination. We are power, and we say that universe no longer exists. We being Disney. Okay. Right. Oh, except when we want to. So the imperialists win again. So there's this strange forging, a fusion of, of, of dream. What you just described was dream state. Mm -hmm. This character goes away. Oh, but the character's back. Oh, but... Yeah, okay. um, and originally he was this thing, but now he actually is like this mm -hmm. instead. You know? yeah. <laughs> the second thing is is a, a, a rather obscure... Well, for I think a lot of people would be... Uh, un understandably, there's a, a Shakespeare's play, Winter's Tale. And there's a character who says, among other things, dreams are toys. <laughs> <laughs> Well, for Disney, they are. Yeah. <laughs> the, the action figures are replete. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's the funny thing you realize growing up is that, you know, you look at it and you think, I remember watching all these shows and thinking like, these things are really cool. And then you look back at them as an adult and you realize the shows were created to sell toys. Mm -hmm. Like they, the shows were never actually meant to do anything else than other than be a, a half an hour advertisement for toys. Yeah. And you and I have talked about this before. You see different levels of artistic creativity in those shows. I think that some of those shows um, completely sell out to the marketization of toys, and, mm -hmm. and that's what it is. But I think in other ones, you see that there's writers and actors who have ambition despite the context or the purpose behind the thing, mm -hmm. and it really shines through on some stuff. And it resonates. It's just like a sound wave. Or finger pressure on a string, and you and you, you're talking about before you do the right combination, right meaning, what would resonate with the ears? It hits the ears, and then suddenly, emotional response. Well, that's dreamlike too. Mm. How does a sound make me tear up? Why is it so strange that that might happen in dream mm -hmm. any more than it happens outside? Yeah. And, and, you know, like I was just alluding to, um, you know, if you have a dream where you're, you're in a place, you know, I've had dreams where I'm in a place and I say, and I know this is my house. This is my house, but it's not, it's mm -hmm. a different place or I'm talking with somebody. This is my best friend. But it's not him. It's somebody <laughs> different, you know. But the feelings, the emotions, all of that stuff is still there. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, what that says about, you know, the interpretations and, and the meanings that we put behind things and how we interpret stuff is is really interesting. And, uh, I, man, I've, I've enjoyed this episode a lot because so we I. really got into the super weird stuff <laughs> and we still left, you know, honestly, there's so much meat on the bone of actually looking at dreams themselves. Yep. You know, we'll, I'm sure it's going to pop up in other episodes and we might even do an, an entirely other episode on dreams in the future, along with, you know, um, when you look at the, the linguistic aspect of it, you know, when you ask somebody, Hey, what, what are your dreams? You could be asking literally about what did they dream about, but you could also be asking about their aspirations, which mm -hmm. can be its own episode, you know? So there's a lot of, a long way to go from here. Um, and maybe my favorite part about this is that I put DW40 on my chair so it didn't squeak the whole time. <laughs> it's been significantly quieter. Um, <laughs> all right, so until next time, keep on going.